to preach about the goodness of Jesus, and we're going to do that this morning. But before I do, I want to sing about the goodness of Jesus. Charles Wagle, one of the great hymn writers of yesteryear, one of the hymn writers of great revival that took place for a great season in our country. He wrote this song, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus and put it to music. And that I will sing this morning. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. Since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take my sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Oh, my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. Oh, my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me. And he led me in the way I ought to go. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. You know, every day I open up his word. There's another day of full assurance that I receive. Because no one cared for me like Jesus. More and more I understand His words of love. But I'll never know just why He came to save me. Till someday I see His blessed face above. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as He. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much He cared for me and for you. John chapter 8. 
I'll begin reading with verse 1 this morning. And here we learn of a lady that learned about Jesus and how no one ever cared for her like Jesus. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to stand. John chapter 8, and beginning with verse 1, we read, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst... They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst." When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, but by the grace of God, this would be me. And oh, the goodness of God. And Father, as we look at this passage and as we study this passage, we will see the malice of men. We will understand the sinfulness of man and woman. But we will also learn about the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God. And so, Father, I pray today that you would use me to exalt the great truths about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray in His precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever found yourself in a position such that if you take one side of the issue, you're found to be guilty and wrong and condemned for taking that side? But if you decide to take the other side of the issue, you're equally wrong and guilty and condemned for taking that side. And it appears to be a no-win situation that you are in, humanly speaking. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ found himself in that situation in this particular passage. Now, this chapter is a chapter that records one conflict after another. And we're just dealing with the first one recorded in this chapter. As you study chapter 8, you'll find that they came and and were a conflict with Jesus Christ. and, And they were trying to cause him to stumble and trying to make him guilty and try to destroy his character and destroy him as much as possible within man. And so this record 
This conflict is a testimony of a prevailing truth. Evil men will stop at nothing trying to destroy the defenders of truth until they have either destroyed their target or they themselves have been destroyed. You'll find that a prevailing truth. And you'll discover that there is no depth of corruption that they will stoop to try to win that battle. We see this going on in the political arena today. You'll find and see it in social circles from time to time. But evil people will stop at nothing to destroy the defenders of truth unless they themselves are first destroyed. This morning I want to look at five things in this particular passage and then a beautiful picture. The time, the teacher, the trap, the transgressor, and the transaction. Let me begin with the time. If you'll notice in this verse, it says that he came early in the morning. I like early morning. I don't like phone calls early morning. I like early morning. I was up before 5 o'clock this morning. And after this last week of travel and everything, I looked at my wife. I said, I wish today was my day off. I need a day before Sunday. But do you know God's given me the strength for today? And the goodness for today. But I still like early morning. Uh, There's something interesting in how this transition takes place within the context. Now, do understand the verse numbers and the chapter separations, they were not in the original documents. Those have been added in, and I'm glad they did so that we can find our place and find our location. And sometimes that division is not always where you and I would put it, but it's always a good place to have it. But we see at the end of chapter 7, verse 53, and do understand, and the, the Feast of Tabernacles is over, and, and the battles that were fought there uh, are now past, and uh, they, they were unable, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they had sent the temple officers to go arrest Jesus Christ, and, and that failed, and they came back and they said, wow, never a man spoke like this man. And, and of course, then they began arguing amongst themselves and, and accusing one another And then they finally give up the day. They lost that battle and they were going to try to win another one. And it closes out and every man went unto his own house. And then chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. Now, this brings to my mind, you'll see... This vision that, okay, the the people either went back to their booths, the locals went back to their home, the the Pharisees, they were perplexed and frustrated, and they go back home and go try to go to bed. The scribes, they go back home, they go to bed. The the officers, they go home and they go to bed. But it reminds me of Luke 9, 58. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. It doesn't say where he went to lay down. I don't know if he was invited or visited one of the disciples home for the night. It says in verse 1, he went out to the Mount of Olives. Did he spend the entire night in prayer before coming early morning to preach and teach? But nonetheless, he was back and early the next morning in the temple, the house of God, 
to teach. There was no hesitation on his part. There was not any intimidation and bullying that caused him to, I'm going to lay low for a while. I think I've stirred the water enough. Let me back out of here and let me go lay low and get out of sight here for a while. But you know what? He said, I must be about my father's business. And he was right back in the temple, right back in the house of the Lord, and maybe right back in the same place he was when he was 12 years of age, when his parents left town and forgot their son, and they had to come back, and they found him in the temple, confounding the scribes and Pharisees. Well, he's going to do the same in this setting as well. I want to take a teachable moment and show you the the mind of Christ on being early. He was early. Now, for me as your pastor, early is important. I like to be up and be here early before anybody else arrives. In fact, uh, I'm embarrassed before the Lord if somebody beats me. Rarely does that happen, and sometimes something providentially hinders me. But I like to be here. I don't care if it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, Thursday night. Now watch me show up just a little before church tonight. You know how that goes. You you reprimand the child for spilling the milk and tell him quit fooling around and pay attention. And within the next five minutes, I would spill my milk. And so uh, <laughs> that's how that goes. But, but I, I always like to be early, and I like to have the lights on. And I know some people will walk in, and, and we may be 20 minutes early, and I have all the lights on in the house. Do you know why? The place of the devil is dark and dingy. You go to the nightclub, and it's, it's dark and dingy. You go to the places of ill repute, it's dark and dingy. Our Lord and Savior is known as the light of the world. We're a lighthouse, and when people walk in here, I want them to be greeted that this is a house alive unto God, and we're a lighthouse unto the, the, the light of the world, and I want it light and bright to reflect the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I do appreciate we have some a little more frugal than I am. They're ready to quickly shut lights off or whatever or or wait to turn them on. Do you know what? God has never failed us to pay the light bill. I like it bright to reflect the character of our God. And, And so if you wonder why I'm that way, that's why I am that way. But also early. Uh, Let me challenge ushers. Always be early. Come and be ready to to meet the guests. Uh, Be embarrassed if guests get here before you do. Uh, Look forward to that opportunity to be able to be the first person that gives an impression uh, and a godly impression of the God you represent. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Be here and look forward to greet our church family and, and to greet that guest and let them know they're welcome in the house of the Lord. Nursery workers, you ought to be early. Now, I know we rarely have a new baby come to church but you ought to be here early and have that nursery open the lights on and everything ready and whether it be one of our own or or always expect this service we're going to have that first time guest with a baby and they're coming 10 minutes early and i'm going to be there and i'm going to show them god loves them and be ready to greet them whether it be the PA, always have it ready so that there's not a rush in the last minute trying to get everything working and running and be able to preach. Whatever it is, Jesus, put on the nature of Jesus Christ. 
be early, be ready. So when it's time for the service, that's where our focus can be. And we can minister. Well, I'll cast that anchor aside in that teachable moment. We're ambassadors of the light of the world and one who always uh, was there early for what he had to do. Now, he'll never be late. And he always does things on time. So first, the time, it was early in the morning. Next, I want to focus on the teacher. He came early, not only to be there early, but he came early to teach. Jesus Christ is not only the Savior of sinners, but he's the master of teacher. You want to know how to be a better teacher? Study the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He is the master teacher. We can always learn. And, I, and in studying this, I try to learn about Jesus Christ as to how to be a better teacher and a better preacher. Now, it does not give us the subject of his lesson. You know, the, the, the week Feast of uh, Tabernacles is over. Uh, many have left. It is now time he comes to the temple. And he's there early. And he's there to teach. It, I don't know, but undoubtedly he was teaching from the law and the prophets. That would have been available to them. And I was thinking about this. I would love to sit down and listen to Jesus teach through the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I would like to hear him teach through every verse, verse by verse, every type, every symbol that is in that section. And how everything pictures the work of Jesus Christ. I heard somebody say, this is a testimony of how this book could not have been written by man. Because you go through, and this was written by different authors early on. There's 14, I believe it's 1,400 years that spans uh, all of the author, authors, nearly 40 years of, uh, of different eras that wrote the Word of God. And the unity and the continuity is marvelous. And you take all of the typology and all of the symbols and, and everything in the Old Testament and how it is fulfilled and its pictures fulfilled in the New Testament. There's a testimony as to how no man in his own mind could have written this book. I'd love to have him sit down and, and show me through Isaiah, line by line, precept upon precept, each of these prophecies. You know, some things we think we got a grasp on, but we might find ourselves embarrassed when the Lord says, now this is what it really meant. This is how it's really going to play out. And he would have it to a T. But he was there teaching, and uh, the people were there listening. It says, all the people came unto him. He drew quite a crowd. Do you know when, when you preach to the people and you teach the truth, there's a lot of people that simply want to know the truth and hear the truth. No doubt there were many local Jews that came. And there was no appointment or anything like that. They probably came, maybe out of curiosity, to see if he showed up the next morning in the temple to teach. Uh, there were probably the travelers that may have stayed over. You know, wow, he's been a... I, I just want to hear him preach or teach one more time before we go home. 
and go back to all of the chores we have to do at home. Have to go home and milk the camels and, and feed the hog, goats. It wouldn't be hogs, but feed the goats and, and take care of the sheep and, and harvest the grain or whatever. I guess the harvest would have been done by them, but whatever they had to do. Let's take one more day and listen to Jesus teach. But here's one I wonder. I wonder if any of those temple officers that had heard him and said, Wow, never a man taught like this, was trying to sneak in behind a pillar and listen to what he had to say. I don't know if there was any curtains or whatever there was, if they were, they were trying to not get caught listening with intent to see what Jesus had to teach, because never a man spoke like this, and they knew it. But there they were in all of that. Now, here's this picture that we have so far. Jesus came early to the temple to teach. All the people came in to the, hear him teach. Jesus, the master teacher, they did it a little differently there than they do now. The master teacher would be seated, and a lot of times the people would be standing all around. And if there was a place to sit, they might sit. When they were out in the open air, uh, he would sit and teach, and they would gather around, and they would sit all around there and listen to him teach. I'm not sure when we changed it to where the preacher stands, and you get to sit and get comfortable and maybe fall asleep. But somewhere between then and now, things have changed a little bit on that account. I don't know if I could preach sitting down. I'd have to learn that one all over. But, but uh, they were gathered all around him for his teaching. Now, I wish I could say that the Lord's house was the safest place you could ever be. That it was a place that major upheaval or conflict or even violence would never happen. But I can't say that. Even in this particular setting, the peaceful opportunity of teaching was turned into a moment of upheaval because of the Pharisees. You see, evil men do not care for the things of God, the people of God, the place of God, the Word of God, but they despise them and they have no problem disrupting it or destroying the meeting of God's people. And what the greater tragedy is, is when men who ought to know better, like these Pharisees, pull a stunt like we're about to introduce right now. They should have known better. But you know, people who are religious and not born again are not led of the Spirit, and they're self-centered, and they care about themselves, and they don't care what happens to other people. So we see this, which brings me to the trap. These Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, they may have went to their own house, and they may have started in their bed, but I think Psalm 36 verse 4 probably described them well, which says, He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Now, I can just envision. Now, the Bible doesn't tell this. This is my speculation. Do with it whatever you want. But I can envision these Pharisees. They were embarrassed. Their pride was assaulted because they tried to arrest Jesus. They tried to remove him. They tried to eliminate him. But they were unsuccessful and they failed. And do you know, proud, evil men never like to fail, and they never like to be embarrassed in a crowd. 
and they go home. He may have started in bed, and he got up, and he's trying to think, now how do I do this? How do I get even? How do I get him out of there? The wife may be laying there, oh, just shut up and go to sleep. I'd like to get some sleep. I don't know what all happened. But they devised an evil plan, and they hatched an evil plan. And how they put this together, I do not know. But they entrapped, they captured. Maybe they knew of a, of a place where this was known to happen on a regular basis. And it was easy to catch in this particular thing. But they had captured and taken this woman. And now envision in our text the Pharisees and the scribes. I am suspicious it was the officers that were bringing her if not dragging her in there. I don't know that the Pharisees and scribes would get their hands dirty by touching her. They would be unclean. They wouldn't dare do that. But here they come to the temple. And because of their pompous pride and how they caused it, you know, it's one thing to be followed because people fear you. It's quite another thing to be followed because people love you and trust you. Here it was fear. These rogue religious leaders, they come barging in there and the crowd that is around there and they never broke stride. They're walking through and the people, whether standing or whatever, they make way. They part like the waters of the river for, for Moses and the people. They part way and they let them in their pompous arrogance march all the way to the front and right there into the presence of Jesus. And they set her before him and set her there. And they look at Jesus Christ. They interrupt the whole thing. And they look at Jesus Christ. And they said, we caught this woman in adultery. In the very act of adultery. And this, probably the the Pharisee is talking about it. They have the scribes. They probably have the scroll opened either to Leviticus 22 or Deuteronomy 20 where it says what the law says. And they said the law, and they may have very well pointed at the scroll that the scribe was carrying right there and said the law says right here that a, a woman caught in adultery must be stoned to death. And then, what do you say? Now, here's the problem. These men cared not for justice. Because if you'll read both of those verses, it says both the man and the woman are guilty and both deserve to be stoned. I heard a preacher preach on on a subject matter of, of immorality. They said the woman will always bear the blame. The woman will always carry the name. And the woman will always carry the shame. Remember that, young ladies. You sell yourselves short. Maybe you don't get a dollar for it, but you give yourselves away short. You'll always carry the blame. You'll always carry the shame, and you'll always bear the name. But if they caught him in the very act, the man was there, right? But they didn't bring him. He was just as guilty. And he should have been there 
just as she was. These men did not care about the justice of the law. All they wanted to do was trap him and destroy him. Now, do understand the act of adultery. Yes, the law did say anybody accused of the law uh, of adultery and it took two witnesses to be able to accuse them and so it would be a difficult one because to be an eyewitness would be a difficult thing to do but anybody that was caught guilty both man and female were to be stoned to death God put high consequences to violating his laws and high consequences of sin and today we we have become so soft on crime which is sin In in Leviticus 20, it says that evil may be put out of the land. We have become so soft on crime and sin that evil multiplies in the land. You place pity on the sinner or the criminal like that, and you place horror on the innocent people. How many... And and I don't know when and where all of the innocence really is. But how many people have been robbed because the thief has never been rightfully punished? How many women have been soiled and abused because the villain has never been rightfully punished? How many people have been murdered because the villain has never been rightfully punished for a previous crime? Do you know what? Capital punishment does deter crime. I believe it was, it may be in Chicago, there were 6,000 crimes that had been committed by 300 convicted felons that had been released. Violent crimes. If those 300 would have been justly compensated for their sin and their crimes, there's 6,000 crimes that would have never have happened. But man thinks we know better than God. But we pay the price. God's law is just. God wrote it. God knows what is needed and what is necessary. Now here's the trap. If Jesus Christ said yes... They would take her out, drag her, and stone her to death. And and whoever were the two witnesses would be involved in first participating in stoning her to death. But the problem with that is, this would be in violation of the existing Roman law, and whoever was involved would then be guilty of murder under the Roman law and would be arrested and adjudicated by Roman law. And they thought, if he says yes, Rome will get him. And he's out of here. But if he says no, he would violate God's moral law. And that would turn the crowd against him. And his integrity would be destroyed. You see, evil men and women are always always over-optimistic in their evil deeds, thinking they're going to win. But as R.G. Lee preached one time, payday comes someday. Before we move forward, as how the Lord dealt with this, let me introduce the transgressor. This was the woman caught in the very act of adultery. 
We do not know, it does not say, whether she was a woman of scarlet, a harlot that had been practicing this multiple times. Or was this a young, naive lady that was seduced to be this trap? This was her first time. Somebody would say of indiscretion, God would call it sin. Either way, by the law, she would be guilty. We don't know if there was a Pharisee that was mad. Yeah, and, and this is the way evil people work. We, we'll destroy one people and we'll, we'll get even with somebody that made me mad over here. We don't know if there's a Pharisee that, that uh, this gal happened to offend or insult or reject or whatever. And they said, we'll get even with her. We'll use her as the pigeon and the bait. Never succumb to the enticement of sin. Because when it's finished, the Bible says, it bringeth forth death. But either way, whether it been a hundred times or a first time, James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. All it takes is one time, one point. Whether it be the smallest infraction or the greatest infraction is guilty and would be justifiably condemned. She had been humiliated in front of a crowd, guilty and no remedy. Sin will do that to you. So when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. There she was, set before the crowd, set in front of Jesus Christ, waiting for the final verdict, waiting for Him to say she's guilty, stoner waiting for them to grab her and drag her out and be thrown on the ground and to feel the blow and the crushing blow of that first stone to hit her and another until feeling and life had escaped her body. And that's where Jesus Christ steps in. It is Jesus who presided over the transaction of justice and grace. He did not answer that question. But he began to stoop over and write on the ground. And while he's writing, they're harassing him with the same issue. Is she guilty or is she not guilty? The law says she is. You have to agree with the... I don't know. But they kept haranguing him. And it says they kept talking. But he just kept writing. They're talking about the law. I don't know if he wrote. The law says that it's the witnesses that are supposed to be the first to cast the stone. I don't know what he wrote, but that's what the law says. It also says that the law uh, states that the witness and the stone throwers cannot be guilty of the same sin. And then he stood up and he said, Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he bends over and he begins writing in the dirt with his hand again. Neither time do we know what he wrote. But this we know. Somehow he made the law clear enough because it is the law that convicts of sin. Somehow he made the law clear enough to these rascals, religious rascals. And then somehow he convicted them of their own sin. Now, I could imagine this. 
referring to what he had taught about the Ten Commandments. The, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say that if any man look upon a woman and lusteth after her, that means that he has a passion to commit the act of adultery. If he could get away with it, if he could do it now, he would do it. But he can't. He'll just fantasize on it instead. I don't know if he wrote something like that down. Maybe put a name of a guy on such a date, in such a place, in such a time, in such a woman. And it's like, whoa, how did he know that? And he quietly leaves. I don't know how, but he impressed upon them of each of their sins. So much the soul that from the oldest to the last... They left to where it is just Jesus and the woman standing and probably still some of the crowd, if not most of the crowd, waiting to see what's going to happen. But when it says left alone, that means that the witnesses, the accusers, they all left and now only Jesus and the woman was there in front. And he looks at her and he says, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she answered, no man Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus did not violate the law. Jesus did not condone or reward her in her sin to be able to sin without punishment. When the Bible says that Jesus Christ fulfilled all the law, he fulfilled it here human from a human perspective. Because he could not move forward to condemn her without the presence of the two or three witnesses to condemn her. It says that they were not to be condemned even with just one witness, but it takes two or three witnesses to condemn. And all of the witnesses had as abandoned and no longer were willing to testify against her and they had left. So had the Lord says, I condemn thee, thou must go out and be stoned, he would have violated how God wrote the law to be practiced and enforced. God never abuses the law to accomplish justice. And he wasn't going to abuse it here either. And he simply said, go and sin no more. Now here is where the beautiful picture of God's saving grace comes in. Galatians 3.24 says that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And that it did. It was the law that brought this lady to Jesus Christ. And she was condemned and guilty and rightfully so. But it was by the grace of God that she was pardoned. It is the law that reveals sin and condemns us. Paul says, I had not known sin except by the law. John, the author, says sin is a transgression of the law. That's New Testament. That's what sin is. Just as this woman, we deserve God's justice, wrath, and punishment. We stand today before Him condemned if we're without Jesus Christ. And it is a law that says He has lied. He has stole something. He coveted something that he should not have coveted. 
It is the law that, that condemns and reveals that we are sinners. And if we violate it, let's say we keep all of the nine, but, but there are eight or nine or whatever it is, and we violate in one and just a small point, we're guilty of all before God. It also says that no flesh shall be justified by trying to keep the law because nobody can keep it from beginning to end. That's the law, and it brought them to Jesus Christ. It brings us to the point where we realize we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to give God. And if God in His grace does not pardon and forgive us, we have no hope. This woman was without hope, 100%, except the forgiveness of God. And the pardon of God. She was totally without hope. But by her, his forgiveness, she was released to go. And he said, go and sin no more. You see, Jesus Christ fulfilled all of God's justice and all of God's wrath through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, every sin that I committed, might commit today, might commit tomorrow, has all been judged on the cross. When Jesus Christ, or when God, for Christ's sake, forgives us of our sin, it's not just saying, well, we'll just eliminate that. We'll just forget about it. We'll just put that, we'll just wipe your slate clean and start all over again. Any sin, every sin, no matter how small the sin is, any violation of God's righteousness is a sin. Jesus Christ died and paid for by substitute. That's like you have a debt that you cannot pay. And somebody comes along and says, okay, I will write a check and pay that debt. You have to receive that payment to make it applied. If you say, no, I don't want it, I'll do it myself, I'll work on it myself, and you work the rest of your life and die in debt. If you'd have just received the gift where it could have been paid. That's the work of Jesus Christ. He doesn't just wipe our sin away. He has paid for our sin. And so the ultimate end is this. Either you will pay for your own sin or you will receive Jesus' payment for your sin. This woman could have stood there and said, No, I'm not going to let you do that. I did this and I'm, gonna, I'm not taking your, your pity. I'm not taking your mercy. I'm not taking your grace. I'll pay for my own sin. And she'd have been drug out and stoned to death. But the pardon of Jesus Christ said, Go and sin no more. And now, believers, don't make light of that phrase, go and sin no more. There's a lot of people that add Jesus to their life and continue in sinful living as though they were still a child of the devil. I don't understand that. When we receive Jesus Christ, not only does he give us new life and eternal life, but he delivers us from the bondage of sin to where we never need to be a slave to any sin ever again. Jesus Christ told us in 1 John, My little children, sin not. Romans says God saved us that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us from the inside out. We have been delivered. 
You see, God's justice, without any abuse of the law, will prevail. But so will God's grace prevail when there is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Just as God would never abuse His law or justice, my friend, let us never abuse God's grace that He has given us. I would like to tell you about my Jesus. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. This woman walked out. She walked in a sinner, condemned, destined to to a horrible death. Because no one ever cared for her like Jesus. She received his forgiveness and was told to go and sin no more. Do you know my Jesus? He's a wonderful Jesus. Ezekiel says, and this was one of the uh, references in your daddy's Bible that was highlighted in Ezekiel, that God takes no delight in the punishment of the wicked. He has to, to be just, but he takes no delight in it. Oh, he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to him through faith. What a wonderful Savior. Father, we come to you this morning. What a tremendous Savior we serve and what a tremendous Lord we have. Always just, but full of grace. Never violates justice or law, but grace can prevail with justice. What a Savior. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, if there's anybody here that has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, I trust today would be that day. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love.
can the right financial advisor help you plan for? Your kid's awkward teenage phase and they need braces. Saving up for your kid's college education. Your daughter is planning for the wedding of her dreams. Taking the grandkids to a Disney World cruise. The wife needs to fly first class to Europe. You want a boys only trip to Vegas to get away from things. Being able to retire and live the lifestyle of your desire. With the right advisor and the right plan, all of these things are possible. I'm Joey Jaquin, and I want to be your financial advisor and help you and your loved ones live the life of your dreams. Let's not beat around the bush. This is going to require a lot of hard work, 
but I can personally guarantee that nobody will outwork me when it comes to being there for my clients. Too many advisors cut corners and take shortcuts to sell you. As you know, my parents raised me to be better than that. Reach me at my cell, 602-909-9048. Again, 602-909-9048. Hi, folks. I'm James Morgan, a realtor with Grisham & Associates, LLC. I know it must seem like there's a million realtors out there making all kinds of promises. Want to hear my big marketing promise? I promise honest and fair dealings with all those I do business with. That may sound old-fashioned, and it is not very catchy, but it is true. I am your Colorado real estate specialist. Farm, land, mountain cabins, or urban dwellings. When you work with my team, we'll get the right property for you and be upfront and honest with you every step of the way. Over the years, my clients have told me just that fact alone separates us from others in the industry. If you are considering buying or selling real estate, call me, James Morgan, at 720-203-0731 or visit my website at coloradoproperties.online. No catchy slogan, just a client-first, honest real estate experience. Hit it, girls. Keep listening to the American Freedom Network. Hey, Chris Lewis here with My Favorite Gunsmith at MyFavoriteGunsmith.com. I love fixing firearms and giving you the tools to succeed in these increasingly trying times. The Constitution has always provided stability, and as we veer farther and farther away from it, our society will only become more unstable. I can't fix that, but I can make sure that you have a fighting chance. So give me a call or shoot me a text to see what I can do for you. 970-776-0258. It's 970-776-0258. Blue Dragon Spa in Longmont, Colorado, 1811 Hover Street, 720-680-0492. A new spa started by Steve, the Red Pill Truth Guy, and his wife, Valentina. Drop by. We offer manicure and pedicure, facial, and more. We have new, state-of-the-art equipment, and we use the best materials available. Yeah, give us a call, 720-680-0492. We're at 1811 Hover Street in Longmont, Colorado. Everything very good. Just come in and try it. Hi, folks. This is Pastor Bruce Miller with the Foothills Baptist Church family. Join us Sunday afternoons from 3 to 4 for the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. That's Sunday afternoons, 3 to 4, here on 1360 AM. Tune in Saturday mornings from 11 to noon right here on the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC 1360 for the Gardening with Joy and Holly radio show. Topic focus, guests from across the country, and answering your garden questions. That's Saturdays, 11 to noon. Catch the replay Sundays, 4 to 5 p.m. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. The views and opinions expressed on 1360 KHNC are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Excursion Broadcasting Network. The following is an...